I'm Sean J. Kennedy, and we're backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm really excited to welcome Susie Benchisel Cider to the show today. I was lucky enough to meet Susie two years ago when I got called to work a few dates on the Evanescence Lindsay Sterling World Tour. Susie was the conductor and I got called in to play some percussion on a few shows in the US. Susie is a prolific conductor and orchestrator for film, television, video games, and live concerts. She might be best known for orchestrating and conducting the remarkably successful orchestral concert tours, The Legend of Zelda, Symphony of the Goddess, and Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions. She's conducted orchestras all over the world, including the Royal Philharmonic at London's Apollo Hammersmith, the Orchestra of St. Luke's at Madison Square Garden, the National Symphony Orchestra at Wolf Trap, and the Sydney Symphony at the iconic Sydney Opera House. In addition to her active concert career, she's also worked alongside her husband, composer Chad Sider, conducting and orchestrating his music for many video game titles that include some of history's most popular enduring franchises like Star Trek The Video Game and Lego Jurassic World. She recently finished orchestrating and conducting his score to Microsoft Studios' major game release, ReCore. It was recorded at the late George Martin's AIR Studios in Lyndhurst Hall and featured the London Philharmonia, plus a full chorus, large rock ensemble, and comprehensive electronics. Before we start the interview with Susie, let's listen to a little bit of the soundtrack to ReCore. Benchisel Cider, welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, it's taken, I think, about two years for this to happen, but uh, I'm glad we both kept uh, communicating and um, <laughs> the interview is actually going to happen today. <laughs> yeah, I, I, had a, I had another kid and I have a toddler at home, so and then I work full time and travel, so it's hard to schedule. <laughs> Of course, and uh, it's really fun to follow you on social media and see your musical adventures and the adventures with your kids. Um, and speaking of following you online, uh, why don't we start with your recent trip to London and Abbey Road Studios? Could you just tell us a little about that? Uh, well, uh, a, a guy by the name of Austin Wintry, who was a composer that I worked for for uh, has to be maybe over ten years. I've orchestrated all of his music. And um, and he's really well known for Journey, uh, mm. which is a video game that just blew up um, years ago. Um, it was made by Sony, and um, and so he um, had me out in Abbey Road Studios um, for two days for a secret album, um, and then uh, a video game called The Pathless, um, which is by this by Giant Squid Studios. Um, and, uh, we had previously worked on a, a game of theirs called Absu, um, which was a fantastic underwater experience. And, and, uh, I think we recorded that two or three years ago with seven harps. Um, so, uh, so yes, it's always a really great creative opportunity to work with him. Um, and also like a very interesting challenge because it's never a normal orchestra. It's always something really interesting and challenging for me um, and different. So uh, he had me out in Abbey Road Studios. I orchestrated the video game, and then we uh, were recording uh, for it. So the nature of your work is very exciting because you're doing all these cool projects, creating new art that people are going to listen to and interact with. But me as a musician, well, on top of that, you were at Abbey Road Studios. Like, what was that like to to be in that space where so much iconic music had been recorded? Well, um, it's actually not the first time I was there. Um, so I kind of walked in there having been there before, and there was a comfort level. Um, the first time, I think, a couple of years ago that I was there, what was the day was the day that I was, you know, full of wonderment and. <laughs> and uh, and we were in Studio Two, which is actually the smaller studio. 
Um, it's not the smallest studio, but it's sort of this um, medium-sized or- orchestra room that can probably fit about 40 or 50, but not, you know, the normal 80-piece London Symphony Orchestra. Um, but Studio 2 is actually the famous um, studio that the Beatles were in, and it's um, it's known for this staircase um, that leads into it, and there's tons of pictures online, um, you know, of the Beatles recording in there. So, so yeah, the history is amazing, um, and it's hard to not just take pictures of it all the time, but, you know, you also <laughs> have to just get to work. <laughs> Right. But the first time, but the first time I was there, I was totally geeking out and and nervous and everything. But but yeah, this is not the first time I was in there. I was there. Oh, that's incredible! Wow, I'm so envious. That's great. Um, all right, so let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, we just talked about your most recent, one of your most recent projects, of course. Uh, could you share with us what your absolutely first musical memory was? Um, well, actually, I was a dancer um, before yeah. I was a musician, and so I started taking ballet and tap um, when I was four years old, and I continued until I was a teenager. Um, so in addition to music, um, you know, I did ballet. So I, I actually think that the ballet experience um, helps a lot with the conducting you know, and the physical expression of music um, because my body works really well um, with expressing music because that's dance. That's what dance is. Right, exactly. It's like the one of the most beautiful forms of sign language, I guess, that there is, is dancing. So you can just yeah. emote everything with your body, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Could you tell the listeners where you're from, uh, where you currently reside, and things like that? Okay. Um, I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland, uh, born and raised there. I went to college in Pennsylvania at a small liberal arts college called uh, Franklin and Marshall College. Um, and then I was a teacher for six years. I taught um, high school music and band. Um, and that's really where I got most of my conducting experience, to be honest with you, because I was um, conducting, you know, five ensembles a day. Um, and that's how I, I got better at what I do. You know, I didn't go to conducting school um, and do that. I did take conducting classes in college, but um, like a lot of conductors, um, most conductors do, you know, go through the ranks and go and get a doctorate in conducting and everything. But I got my experience teaching music. Um, so I taught, uh, I taught high school music at a boarding school. Uh, for two years, and then I taught uh, first grade and kindergarten, um, and eventually uh, USC, which University of Southern California, um, I got accepted into their film scoring program at, in um, California, Los Angeles. So I moved out to Los Angeles, and I've been out there, I've been, I've been out here since um, 2004. So I currently oh, cool. reside in Los Angeles and, yeah, have a family and I've settled roots there. And I, I you know, work in film and television, so it's it's also uh, the logical place to be. Now, did you like teaching school? What what was the impetus for you to go to, uh, you know, to go get an advanced degree in film scoring? Um, you know, I, I liked some aspects of teaching school, um, but not others. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um the big the big problem that I had was um, the school that I taught at was um, really remote. It was in a it was in upstate New York. Um, I was you know thirty minutes from the nearest grocery store, um, and mm. I am you know I was twenty two at the time, so I didn't like that. I'm a city girl through and through, and I I need to you know be able to go to museums and concerts and, you know, see my friends play. Um, and that's just the lifestyle that I've grown accustomed to growing up in Los Angeles, that I'm just not um, somebody that, you know, will do well living in a remote location. Um, so I didn't like it, but, you know, I loved, I loved the, um, I loved my students. And actually the teaching part of it led me directly out to Los Angeles because, I ended up teaching um, Alan Menken's daughter, <laughs> wow. and 
Yeah, I just met Alan Menken, you know, in the school cafeteria when he was dropping off his daughter. <laughs> oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. And so I was really lucky. And luckily, Alan is super approachable and sweet. And I just started asking him about um, film music. And from there, you know, he um, he was very, very kind and generous with his time. Um, and that I could just call him and ask him questions. And, and I did that for uh, two or three years while I was teaching. And finally, I think I was I was in grad school, and I always wanted to work in film music. That was a pipe dream of mine, I think. Um, and Alan invited me to Los Angeles because he was recording for um, an entire week there. And so I uh, flew out to Los Angeles and got to experience, you know, a hundred-piece orchestra with Ellen Menken, you know, recording the score to it. And I was just in the back, of, you know, as a fly on the wall, um, taking it in. And that's how I knew I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. It was life-changing because if you're ever in, you know, a film scoring environment, it is definitely... You know, and most people will agree the best part of the movie making experience, um, even people that are in pre-production or actors and things like that, they come to the recording session because it's the most exciting part of it. Um, so I got to experience that, you know, in real time and, and understand um, how things work. And then, you know, I had a great mentor, <laughs> really the best oh, mentor yeah. <laughs> that you can have. Um, right. Yeah, so... So, it, you know, I mean, the teaching did lead me to this. Um, so I have absolutely no regrets with that. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> um, so what is instrument did you play? What is your main instrument, um, if you have one? I am a pianist. Um, I'm a very bad pianist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, time has kind of, you know, done a number to me where I just don't have the time to keep my chops up. I'm sure, you know, at one point I was okay, um, but, you know, now that I work with the best people in the world, <laughs> I kind of know where I measure up, and I'm not very good. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's my first instrument is piano. I did, um, I did play the bassoon in college, uh, and then um, when I started orchestrating professionally, I started taking violin lessons to understand the instrument and understand bowings and things like that. So, um, so those are my three instruments, but in reality, as a conductor orchestrator, you know, my, my instrument right now is the computer, uh, where I, mm. I work in, you know, two notation programs, um, Sibelius and Finale, and then I conduct. I was, um, on occasion, I, I have to arrange things too, not at the scale or the level that you are, but, uh, one thing I find useful, I don't know if you do this too, uh, but like if I have to write string parts, I'm no string player. Mm -hmm. Like I'll write something and finale makes it sound incredible. I usually send it out to my string experts and I'm like, is this playable by a human? Do you happen to do anything like that as well? I do. Well, that was the reason why I, um, I started taking violin lessons is because it mm -hmm. did teach me a lot about the entire string section and how they work um, and also how they how they work as a pack, which is really interesting because um, you can get an individual player, but as a pack, you know, there is a pack mentality where players, um, you know, they're so used to playing together that they really elevate each other. Um, so that's how I learned, but I do, um, if there's something in particular that's really difficult to play um, at the tempo that it's, that it's at, then I, um, I will, bounce it back to several of my string player friends and ask them if this is doable. And most of the time it is, um, you know, because all the players that I um, work with are all the studio cats in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, so something that, you know, looks completely unplayable to me, you know, is I pass it back and they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. We can do that because they've seen <laughs> everything. Right. Exactly. The best of the best are reading itself. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of your early, earliest conducting experiences, you mentioned, was actually teaching. Um, when you were in middle school, high school, were you in a situation where you were in marching bands or orchestras or jazz bands? Did you have any music leadership experience as a kid, or were you just a member of an ensemble? 
I was always in choir, um, and I was a soloist um, in choir in middle school, you know, as uh, as early back as middle school, probably elementary school as well. Um, and then, of course, in high school and college, I, I sang solos. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I was ever um, in a leadership position. Oh, you know, except for, um, you know, I, w- I would be the section leader of of like the alto section. So, um, you know, if the teacher needed, you know, extra help or I would just help, you know, my section learn the music. Um, so I would do that. And the reason I ask that is because um, now you find yourself in front of these incredible orchestras all over the world. And um, did you ever imagine as a 12, 15-year-old kid uh, that you would be the one with the baton making everything happen in these situations at some point? Um, no. Well, okay, so I don't, I, I, I don't see conductors as making everything happen, though. Um, I think I facilitate everything happening, but... I mean, it it doesn't work without every single one of, you know, the orchestra members or or the choir members, you know, really giving it their all, too. Um, Mm -hmm. So so there is um, a lot of humility in that because when I mess up, and I do, um, you know, it's not that obvious because the orchestra's fine, um, you know. But when a flute player misses their cue, or you know, or you know, a percussionist misses their cue, like it's noticeable, or at least to some people. Um, mm-hmm. So that you know, that is a lot of hum- there's a lot of humility in that where where um, they're fine, you know, without me um, for a bit, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I'm I'm there facilitating, and and no, I never imagined that I would be doing this at all. This was not at all in my radar or my wheelhouse really at the time. Um, I always loved music, um, but I never saw it as a career um, ever. Um, I grew up with a dad who was a, a doctor. Um, and I wanted to go into practice with him, you know, Hmm. and be a doctor. Um, my dad was, you know, and is very passionate about medicine. Um, so, you know, and he ran like a vaccine program in Baltimore and he was really passionate about, um, you know, childhood vaccines and making sure that children didn't fall through the cracks. Um, you know, because he worked with a lot of poor children, um, and um, so that's what I wanted to do. Um, that was, it seemed attainable and it seemed like something that would be great. Um, you know, my dad, well, my parents and I are very close, but my dad and I, you know, are very similar in personality. And I just kind of thought that we would go into practice together someday. Were your parents uh, supportive when you changed direction? Um, I would say they were passively unsupportive. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah, I mean, the lovely thing is they were passive about it, um, you know. <laughs> and I wouldn't say they were completely unsupportive, but they also didn't see music as a career option either. Um, so it was the sophomore year of my college when I was um, I was majoring in biology and I was on the pre med track. Um, where I just couldn't pass the chemistry classes. Um, I was really, you know, barely holding on in chemistry. And it was a guy named Richard Moog, um, and I've taken him out to dinner many times since then, where he sat me down, and he's still teaching, and he said, you know, Susie, maybe this isn't for you. Um, He was my chemistry teacher, and he was like, so... He sat me down, we had a really good talk, and he said, well, what do you really love? And, and I said, I love my choir classes. I love my composition classes. I love music. And he's like, well, why don't you do that? Just major in that. And, and I was like, that's ridiculous because there's no, there's no future in that. There's no track. And he said, he said, maybe, maybe not, but, you know, I think you should just major in what you love, and then you'll figure it out later. Um, you know, so I see these um, – I see these kids that 
you know, have these really strict goals of what they want to do. And, um, and I tell them the same thing, you know, I say, just make, just major in what you love or follow your heart. And then you'll just figure it out later. It'll somehow all fall into place. And he was completely right because I, I had no idea, um, that this would come about. I just, I just did what I loved. Um, and it's, it hasn't failed me yet. That's fantastic that you uh, had someone in your life like that because, you know, becoming an adult, you, we meet our peers uh, that didn't have that person that said, hey, you know, maybe try this. And uh, what a blessing it is to have those people steering us or encouraging us to follow our passions. Oh, yeah. And and people think about, um, you know, was there a music teacher? And I I did have a ton of music teachers, but, you know, who knew that it was my college chemistry teacher? you know, that would um, kind of steer me in the right direction <laughs> by process yeah, of elimination I, I that, that this wasn't for you. Yeah, I he actually invited me back to speak to the entire college um, two years ago. And wow. he was on the committee and I took him out to dinner and, and I was able to um, to tell him how much that meant to him. And I think he, he teared up, you know, because teachers, I mean you know, we all know that teachers are the unsung heroes, you know, of this world. And so just the fact that like he, you know, he, he cares so deeply about the students and that, you know, students that, um, you know, went on to be very successful, um, you know, and, and that he, you know, really helped shape, I think meant a lot to him and meant a lot to me too, to, to say those words to him. Um, you know, because teachers don't get the credit they deserve. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's so funny. Um, when I was in eighth grade, it was an eighth grade math teacher that called my parents and said I should go to the marching band meeting. Like, I, had, <laughs> I didn't want to do it. And the math teacher's like, get him to that marching band meeting, and thank goodness she did, or I might not be talking to you today. <laughs> so right. it's funny how the world works like that. <laughs> do you see yourself as a conductor, a ranger, or composer more, or is it kind of all mixed together? I consider myself a conductor and orchestrator. Um, arranging is is a totally different animal, I think. Um, where could you, could you share with the listeners? Yeah, what's the difference? Sure. Um, well, I think that arranging is a little bit more towards the composition part of it. And really putting a lot of creative um, input into a piece of music, um, and an orchestrator is more focused on making things playable. Um, I think it's definitely very creative, but it's more creative in the volume and textures of the music, and not from a compositional point of view. Um, and that definitely can be blurry because I would say that I orchestrate music um, and I have arranged music before, um, but there are arrangers out there that really, really can do magic to a song that can make it their own. Um, I um, I did arrange, you know, a, a lot of pieces, but. I would say that I'm an orchestrator and that's where my talent is because um, I know the orchestra really well. I know what it's going to sound like, um, you know, and, and I am less of a composer point. Um, so, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a orchestrator and conductor. Um, I am about 50, 50, I would say with the work. Um, which is exactly how I like it because I don't want um, either um, parts of that to, you know, to slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also makes sense too, when I orchestrate something that I conduct it because I know the music really well. Um, and the composer for the most part, um, you know, is, is in the booth. Um, not at Abbey Road, not this last, um, projects that I was at, the composer actually conducts his own music. Um, but there's a lot of times where I'm asked to conduct and the composer needs to be in the booth um, and listening to all of the elements that are coming through, um, including the synth elements, um, and, you know, have the director in the room 
with them listening to everything and having more production discussions. Um, whereas I'm out, you know, in, uh, sometimes the firing squad, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, in the studio, um, really focusing on the music itself, the orchestral part of it. Have you ever heard something and you're like, wow, that's really cool, and then realize it was you on the recording? Like, has that ever happened? Like, wow, this, oh, that's actually me. Um, there's definitely been things that I've orchestrated that I'm like, oh, wow, this is really well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but I, I actually don't listen to music in the car, I mean, very much at all. Um, I mean, music is is my, you know, profession, so I'm listening mm -hmm. to talk radio and and, you know, comedy and podcasts all the time. Uh, I am rarely listening to music unless my toddler has requested, like, a Disney um, soundtrack. <laughs> okay. So you were talking about um, your perception of what a conductor is and um, how it, you're not like the boss, it's everyone working together. And I just have to say, I was to the listeners, um, I was lucky enough to uh, work with you and under your baton uh, for the Evanescence Lindsey Sterling tour. Uh, I did about seven concerts, I think, with you in the U.S. And um, I must say, you were one of the greatest conductors I've ever worked for because it was interesting to me listening to you say what a conductor does. I was recollecting what I felt like when I was in your orchestra, and I felt compelled to do my best for you because you, I could feel the caring for the production coming from you. Um, I've worked with different, you know, we all work with different conductors, like tyrannical people, follow the baton, da-da-da-da-da. Um, you didn't feel like a boss. You felt more like a collaborator. And it was really wonderful working with you. I just wanted to mention that before I start asking you more questions. Thank you so much. That's really sweet of you. And I loved working with you, too. The, the first thing I noticed um, was w out of um, everyone, you know, because we did, like, over 80 shows, is that you had gloves on <laughs> <laughs> when you were when you were playing and like I was like, Oh, that guy's serious, you know, about <laughs> his work. I'm like, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there was a lot of cymbal crashes in that show and uh I think yep. after the first rehearsal my fingers are like, ouch so I'm like I have to remedy this. So I got some gloves for all those uh, amazing cymbal crashes you wrote in the uh score. <laughs> Oh, that was so speaking David of it. Campbell. Oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> that really? was David Campbell. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So David Campbell was the um, arranger of the orchestra for all the Evanescence okay. music. I was the conductor. Um, so I didn't, I didn't do any of that stuff. That was, that was the great David Campbell, who was, who was famous and amazing at what he does. Um, the only thing that I did, um, the one thing that I did on the Evanescence show. Um, was I did the orchestra arrangement for Across the Universe, um, which yep. I think you were part of. And then, um, and then I did orchestrate um, the entire Lindsay show, um, except for, I think, three pieces. I had a collaborator, um, Jeremy Levy, um, arrange and orchestrate, um, you know, three pieces. And then my husband, Chad, actually did the orchestral arrangements for um, the rest of the Lindsay Sterling show. And then I orchestrated it. Um, personal question, the, um, across the universe, um, yes. one of the, I had just lost my father about two months before the tour started and I'll never forget the Massachusetts show we did when everyone had their phones and we did that. It was otherworldly, uh, the arrangement, the performance and everything. Is there a recording of that anywhere that's available, your arrangement with Evanescence? You know, I really can't. Say, there may be something cooking, but I'm not sure. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep looking. I'll watch you on social media to see updates about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. Um, so, speaking of Evanescence and the Lindsey Sterling tour, uh, how did that come to pass that you were chosen to go on the world tour with them? Um, so, this all happened in maybe it was like four or five years ago. I had orchestrated a movie. Um, called Voice from the Stone. And it starred the mother of dragons, um, Amelia Clark, from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And um, the composer of the score was a man by the name of Michael Wanmacher, um, who wrote the underscore to that. Um, now, I've worked with him since 2005. I was his assistant 
um, and started out, that was, he was my first um, hire in Los Angeles, really. So um, I, you know, we were working on our like 30th movie together. It was amazing. And so this movie, Voice from the Stone, um, I had orchestrated and I ended up conducting it at Air Studios in in uh, London. And um, so fast forward to um, later that year, Amy Lee um, was asked to write uh, the end credit song with Michael. And so naturally they asked me to orchestrate it and conduct the recording of that song. And then way fast forward to two years later, um, where Evanescence's manager um, happened to be looking for a conductor. Um, now a little background. So Amy Lee loves the orchestra. Um, you would never really know it because, you know, she's a rock girl, but she loves the orchestra. She has so much passion for the orchestra, like more so than probably most people I've met, you know, <laughs> in the orchestra world. Um, wow. She loves the orchestra. Yeah. And so, in fact, I think uh, it's like, you know, was kind of like an unattainable dream of hers to become a conductor. She is very fascinated by the whole experience of conducting and, and being in the middle of an orchestra. And it was like a lifelong dream to, to do this um, album called Synthesis, which was um, a reimagining of all of the famous Evanescence music. But it was, they took out pretty much everything. They stripped everything down and they had David Campbell arrange orchestra for it. Um, and it was so much softer and passionate and, and interesting and and it also um you know had challenged i think everyone in the band to think differently too you know the guitarists and the drummers mm -hmm. and 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 you know how do they reimagine their songs um you know with this new vision of amy's um so you know the album was going to come out but they actually wanted to start a tour before the album came out so um, Evanescence's management um, came and they, they came to me because they had worked with me two years ago and they said, you know, um, hey, uh, you know, we're looking to do, you know, two shows um, with Evanescence in Seattle and it's going to be on Amazon and uh, would you be interested in this? And I was like, yeah, possibly. Um, but then it turned into a tour. Now, when I got the offer for the tour, um, the timing was not good. So I had just given birth 10 days ago. And I was actually at Warner Brothers. I had had a C-section and I was having to conduct a video game, which I was, I mean, I agreed to. I, you know, I was crazy, but I agreed to it. <laughs> I mean, I still had an open wound from a C-section, and I was like, all right, <laughs> I can do this. Um, wow. And I get the, yeah, and so I'm I'm at Warner Brothers, and I get this email from Evanescence's manager, um, a guy named J Jordan Berliant, who is a gem. He also is, is a manager who loves orchestra and loves music, you know, more than, you know, a lot of the orchestra <laughs> members that I've seen. And you don't get that from management very often. Um, so he offered me this tour and I was essentially heartbroken. I was like, you know, that's so unfortunate that this opportunity would come now, you know, mm. that I'm, you know, a mom to an infant, um, because I can't do it. And, and I was just really bummed about it. And, and I hadn't even really considered it. Um, and my husband who had arranged a lot of this um, music for a video game was like, well, hold up, you know, hold on. It's just, it's just a six week tour. <laughs> and he's like, and it's a rock. And he actually, he loved Evanescence in college. Like he remembers, you know, listening to bring me to life like mm. all the time in college. So it brought back a lot <laughs> right. of uh, fun memories for him. And he's like, well, hold up. This is, one of, you know, the greatest all-time bands, rock bands, and they're doing a tour with an orchestra, and they need a conductor. Like, 
like what an opportunity that is for you, you know, and us, and what an experience. He just knew that it was going to be um, an amazing, unique experience. And I'm really grateful, you know, to him because he really encouraged me. He's like, you should try this. And I was like, what about the baby and everything? He's like, he's like, well, we'll just figure it out, you know. Um, and, and I, you know, I have to say, like, as far as supportive husbands and, and partners, I mean, that's an amazing thing, you know, as a woman who's just given birth to like, you know, be encouraged to like spread her wings and, and seize an opportunity. Um, because I don't think that that's very common. Um, so, so yeah, I ended up taking the job. It was a six week tour, um, but it was separated by three weeks in between. So it was like three weeks on and three weeks off and then three weeks on. And so we figured it out, you know, uh, my husband and my, my firstborn baby came out for part of the tour, you know, so we, we weren't, um, separated for very long. Um, you know, and it was hard at first, but it, you know, I, it was in a really, it was really amazing experience. Um, and it was a successful tour. So from that six weeks came, you know, an Australia tour. And I will, like, always go to Australia. I'll, you know, go for free. I don't even care because <laughs> <laughs> Australia is just the most amazing thing. And to be able to conduct, you know, in the Sydney Opera House, um, which I've actually wow. done twice before. I've worked with the Sydney oh Symphony gosh. and conducted there twice before on video game symphonies. So I got to go there with Evanescence. Um, and we had, I think three or four shows, um, there and it was a dream. And then from there, um, came an entire European tour, which was four and a half weeks. And, you know, it was in a different city every day. It was just magical because I've never experienced Europe. Um, you know, and I got to go to Moscow and St. Petersburg and, you know, everywhere in Germany, it was so much fun. Um, so then that part ended and then, um, Lindsay Sterling, who had, uh, guest performed, um, on a song on, it was one of the new songs on Evanescence's album called High Low. And she did, um, the, vi the really cool violin solo. And so they were talking about co-headlining a show together. Um, and it just blew up as far as popularity because like it was, it was in amphitheaters, outdoor amphitheaters in the summer. Um, you know, there were 25,000 people there, you know, every night. And, and so they, um, they swapped headlining each night. Um, and so that's how that came about because I was already attached to the Evanescence show so they needed um, someone to do the orchestral arrangements and um, conduct the show. And so my husband happens to also be a really great arranger. So he did the arrangements for Lindsay. And then um, I conducted her show. Um, and so we did, uh, I, I would say, like 30, you know, 30 shows in the summer um, of a, you know, really fun, successful tour. Um, so that's how all of that happened it all it all kind of was a crazy whirlwind year for me <laughs> that's incredible um yeah one thing that struck me from being involved with that tour briefly um was just how nice everyone was because i've been involved with other productions and stuff but it was like hey we're all part of the same team you know it was just it was um it was a joy to work with everyone involved with that entire tour Everyone was really nice. Um, and, yeah. and that's the thing is that's really my first big tour. So I didn't, I, you know, I've heard the same thing that, you know, people are not so nice um, and mm -hmm. approachable. I mean, I've heard, um, especially with, with the artists, that you're not really allowed to look at them or interact with them. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, both um, Amy Lee and Lindsay Sterling were just, you know, lovely all the time. And, um, and like really, really approachable, you know, each of their crews, like love, love them too, you know, and have worked with them for decades. So that also really, you know, shows how, how sweet they are and how nice they are. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, they've both been famous for a really long time. And I think there's something to say about about that, you know, when you've been famous for like probably half your life, um, you know, and you're nice and your crew just right. love working with you, you know, I mean, that's that's a testament to like their leadership, um, you know, and how they like to run things. Because I don't think, um, you know, because the leadership, it all it all kind of trickles down, you know. Right. So, right. you know, if they're nice to their crew and, and, and their band and their collaborators, then, you know, everybody that works for them is going to be nice, too, and happy. We'll finish up with Susie Benches Cider when we come back from a quick break. It's backstage at the Enharmonic, and I'm Sean J. Kennedy. If you're enjoying this interview, please consider stopping by my website, www.seanjkennedy.com, and hit the podcast link. I have tons of fascinating interviews with movers and shakers in the music industry, including the late Hal Blaine from The Wrecking Crew, members of the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, legendary music industry folks. There are even a few Broadway stars on the roster, and tons of my favorite drummers, including Clayton Cameron, Bernie Dressel, Jeff Sipe, and the list goes on. So once again, please consider visiting us online, www.seanjkennedy.com. One of my main purposes in creating this podcast is to inspire young musicians. Well, if you're looking for inspiration in the written word, I'd encourage you to visit the website of my favorite writer, Heather High Kennedy, who coincidentally is my wife. She has a great website with tons of blog articles that are humorous and inspiring. It's called The Regular Riot, and it's a blog about everyday life, from the mundane to the magnificent, and the quest to find joy and even a little meaning in any given moment. So please, when you have a second, check out her blog at theregularriot.com. Welcome back to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm Sean J. Kennedy. I'm talking with orchestrator and conductor Susie Benchisel Sider. Let's get back into our conversation. Uh, would you mind sharing with the listeners uh, some of the challenges as a conductor, and especially as a woman in a field that is male-dominated? Well, I think um, the first thing, you know, to speak as a challenge of a conductor is, um, as a conductor, you always have to listen. Um, it's not what people think. Um, or perceive because you know a conductor doesn't go out there and and just command people to do you know to do music <laughs> um, <laughs> you know a conductor needs to listen um, they need to be a leader they need to be a really good leader and inspire people um, because they're not you know you're not going to get much out of an orchestra that hates you or that feels like you know the orchestra you know, that you're just commanding them. Unless, you know, you're you're maybe a really famous conductor <laughs> that, you know, um, is really intimidating. But I'm not intimidating at all. Um, and so um, my best approach is collaborative, always. Um, so I have to listen to my players. I have to see where the challenges lie. Um, and... You know, the hard part is that I um, I conduct a new orchestra every time. So it's a new group of people. Um, you know, it's not, I, I'm not like the principal conductor of an orchestra. So I literally walk in um, and I, I'm there early so that I can get a feel for the room and get a feel for the group um, because there's so many complications and dynamics that I walk into um, that I don't know what I'm walking into. Um, so I, you know, I, I go in and I meet the players, um, and, um, because I'm not intimidating, uh, you know, I just walk in and, and we meet on an equal level and that's how I like to work. Um, so, you know, that we could collaborate together and make great music together. So that's, that's one of the challenges. Um, as a woman though, um, it is, it is a big challenge. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like when I 
started conducting orchestras in 2011, um, you know, everybody thought I was the intern walking in because uh, I also look really young. I look about 10 or 15 years younger than I actually <laughs> am. So everybody thought that I was the intern, um, you know, at the time. And, and this is still now true that that um, there aren't any or many female conductors. I'm just starting to see a few female conductors out there. Um, I can count them on both hands. Um, wow. <laughs> so when I do walk in, um, you know, they're like, oh, where's the coffee? You know, where's the bathroom? Where's this? And, you know, or they'll think that I'm a string player that's subbing in um, for the orchestra or I'm part of the production. So, you know, those are the those are the things that people assume that I am as, as a young woman walking in. They will never, ever assume that I'm the conductor. Um, I also don't give off that vibe either. Um, it's not... You know, there's advantages and disadvantages to that, though, because I really do love meeting people in, in like, an honest, real form, you know, as opposed to this, like, level of authority or or, or something that, that, you know, you meet someone on. So I love meeting people on equal on equal planes. Um, and, and I think it kind of sets, you know, the you know, the example of, of how things are going to be for the next couple of days. So, so there's that, um, you know, being a woman starting out in this industry was really hard um, because, yeah, I mean, people assumed that I didn't have the skills that, you know, was needed. Um, it was hard starting out at an entry level too, um, you know, to even just be given the chance. Um, and what I found is, is it not much has changed, um, you know, even in liberal Hollywood. Um, and, you know, musicians tend to be very liberal too. Um, you know, there's not a lot of women out there. Um, you know, what what they have to do is they have to work to find them. And a lot of people don't have to work or don't don't have the resources or want to do the work to, to seek out those women. Um uh, and the challenge that I have now, um, right now, is is being a mom, which is interesting, um, because just as I was really getting established, uh, you know, on the scene, and 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 by established, it's like maybe a few orchestras that I've worked with, you know, um, you know, loved me and wanted me back. Then I became a mom, and that's a whole other thing because society has this um, idea of what motherhood should be and um you know so there's a lot of people that are like oh well you should not be you know you should not be conducting like orchestras you know you have a you have a five-month-old at home you know or you have a year a year old you should wait until your kids are older or they're in school and things like that and I'm like well I'm like you know hold up I'm like I have a family to support you know I'm I'm an equal, you know, significant portion of, of contribution to our household. So, you know, it's important that I work. I also love to work, um, you know, and that is something that I'm unapologetic about um, and that is a little striking to people is that, um, you know, I very much committed to be a, mer- a working mother. Um, you know, I did not want to stay at home and, um and shout out to all the stay-at-home moms. Like, it is the hardest job, and that's why I didn't want to do it. <laughs> my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and, you know, she takes care of my kids now. And it's amazing, but I think I would go crazy, and it's just not for me. Um, you know, I really wanted um, – I, I have so much identity in what I do for work that this is something that I was going to stick with and be a working mom. Um, so when I was pregnant with my, um, second child, I was still out there conducting and people were really surprised and they were like, well, why didn't you tell us that you were pregnant? And, and I would just say, because it shouldn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I can still fly, you know, I can fly up until like the last month and I can conduct orchestras cause I can stand on my feet for a very long time. And, um, <laughs> And, you know, I'm conditioned for that. And, and 
people were like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, so it's still a very new thing, um, you know, being a working mom and and conducting and, and working in a man's field. You know, I would I would love for um, for me to make my own decisions on that and not for someone else who means well, you know, to make decisions or, or um, you know, make parameters for me. Well, Susie, you are an inspiration. Uh, you inspired me years ago when I was on tour with you. Um, your conducting uh, made me want to play better, and I think it, you know, um, enthralled audiences around the world, and I was so happy to be part of a little tiny piece of that. And uh, following you on Instagram and Facebook, looking at all your adventures is also inspiring. And I know a lot of my students, I told them I was going to interview you, and I showed them who you were on the Internet, and they're very interested to hear this. Um, so keep doing the great work you're doing, and I hope we get to work together uh, sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me, and this was so, this was so much fun to do. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Susie. Bye-bye. Bye. That's the end of another episode of Backstage at the Enharmonic. The show is produced in Backstage at the Enharmonic's World Headquarters, the music studio at our house in beautiful suburban Philadelphia. Our theme song and the background music was provided by myself and my good friend Rick Smith on guitar. The music is extracted from a book called I Used to Play Drums, which is a drum method for folks that used to play drums. That is produced and distributed by Carl Fisher Music, and you can find it at your favorite music retailer. And as I mentioned in our break, please consider going back into the archives of Backstage at the Enharmonic and checking out some of the other interviews I've done. And if you have suggestions for a musician that you'd like featured on the show, please drop me a line at my email, drummer at seanjkennedy.com. Thanks for listening.